This is a Rooster Teeth production. Twenty thirteen, an old cargo ship makes port in Beirut, Lebanon. Unable to pay for port fees and repairs, the ship's cargo is placed in a warehouse where it sits forgotten for seven years until a fire changes the course of Lebanon's history. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas and sometimes land. Again, yet another one where uh uh-oh and whoopsie feel awfully out of uh, tune. Sure. <laughs> with what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't write an intro for this one. That's fair. This one's it's a little close chronologically and uh, a lot of innocence. Uh-huh. Uh like many of our stories. <laughs> yeah. But this one is uh, it's lacking in whimsy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we got a slightly different episode today. You have all gotten far too complacent. Yes. Rather than tackling a nautical disaster on the high seas, we'll be tackling a nautical disaster in port. We've done a few of these. We've done a couple of Halifax. these. You know, Halifax, Galveston, Texas yeah. City. Yeah, you yeah. know, for, for well, that was actually outside Galveston, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh. <laughs> well, any of your friends that are have uh, an irrational fear of depth, yeah, uh, which, you know, I would say the podcast lacks. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe a misplaced fear. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm joking, of course. We do, we make a good show here. We're proud of it. Uh, yeah, so disclaimer, it's a very recent awful tragedy. Uh, it's not, I mean, we're not going to get into like any kind of gruesome detail, really. Yeah, but. we've done past stories where there are personal accounts uh, of what transpired, and, and we don't have that for this one, and we also just didn't feel it was worth mentioning. Yeah, but, you know, if you want to skip that one, this one, go ahead. Check out the backlog. Listen to some of the Brian seasons, of which we also did some really grim stuff in. Oh, so yeah, maybe absolutely. A hundred percent. Listen yeah. to the Hatsune Bunu. Hatsune yeah, Bunu? That just came up again. Hatsune Bunu? That we covered. That egg. Hatsu- yeah. That's, uh, uh, something like that. I'm not sure if it's hatched yet, but I've heard there have been low rumblings uh, in Morse yeah, code. A, a deep tone. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like your mic is still not. It's not. It looks like you're. Kind of yeah, that's is that good. Yeah, that's I'm trying that's to. Better. It's tough because I keep trying to like look. You don't down. get comfort and good sound. You must choose one. Yes, I do. <laughs> that is why I insist on recording in a lazy boy. Uh, which here we are in our lazy boys. <laughs> I'm in a, a love sack. <laughs> Those are cool. The port of Beirut is incredibly modern, versatile, and an important fixture of their infrastructure and economy. Like most ports, mm-hmm. right? It's owned by the Lebanese government. It lies on the eastern coast of St. George Bay, west of the Beirut River, and it has some of the highest traffic among the ports in the Mediterranean. It's also a fairly old port. In 1887, it was granted to a French company as part of Ottoman concessions during an ongoing war. The French maintained the port as battles over Lebanon's ownership continued. Man, the French really love to be at war. For a long time, they did. Yeah. Now they seem to have, they're in like kind of like a slumber. Well, they like to nap. They're hibernating. So they, are in a, they are in a slumber. Well, because they chopped off enough heads to get daily naps. Yeah. But they'll be back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're just biding their time. Yeah, yeah. In 1920, when Lebanon came under French rule, the company who owned the port, Compagnie du Port de Quoi et des Entrepôts de Beirut. Uh, that translates to Company of the Port, Quays and Warehouses of Beirut. Beautiful language, English. Yes. Uh, They received French funding and expanded and modernized the port to cater to French trade and armed forces. 
The same company operated and maintained the port until 1960, at which point it was turned over to the Lebanese government. At this point, the port was expanded to include multiple giant grain silos, four basins, 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 16 quays, 12 warehouses, and a large container terminal with extensive handling equipment, including 16 ship-to-shore cranes. I feel like quays, that's that's a really good term that we have really not good ship, hit a lot. ship term, yeah. yeah, and it almost almost never, never comes up. That comes is a up. huge this may be the first. This may be the first quay drop of... Uh, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Very it's nice. It's kind of just like a giant concrete dock. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is. What matters is what, cool it, what it evokes. Yeah, yeah. And I like concrete a lot. We know this. <sighs> Do you? Is that a, that's a thing? I made a whole video about it. That inside game. I don't, watch, video the, about I don't watch the videos you make. It's really fantastic work. Was it? It's an extensive think piece. Yeah, you'd think I'd have seen it if it was, but... Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Patrick's sinking. I do ever, remember, I do know what yeah. you're. I do know Patrick's sinking yeah. ever further into his love sack. Yeah, <laughs> he's just <gasps> his face peering out. <laughs> In 2019, the port managed over 1.2 million shipping containers. That's a ton. That's a that, lot. That is a lot. But all of that was about to be destroyed. Oh, yeah. So, how did this all happen? That's my question. It's kind of complicated. Okay. A lot of factors in play. That's fine. On September 27th, 2013, a cargo ship registered to the country of Moldova, like most cargo ships, <laughs> uh, the, the MV Rosas <laughs> left from Batumi, Georgia, that's the country, not the state, en route to Beira, Mozambique. Yeah, Patrick said, obviously, after the Batumi, Georgia, and I said, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the MV Rosas had a single deck and a length just shy of 300 feet. Its gross tonnage was 1,900, with a net tonnage of 964, and a deadweight tonnage of 3,226 tons. Great. Now, there's a lot of fodder for the ton freaks. Yeah, we have a lot of ton nerds out there. A lot of ton heads. It was designed with two cargo holds, with a grain capacity, that's loose cargo, mm -hmm. of 146,100 square feet, Roughly the equivalent of 20 Olive Gardens. And just as much grain as it takes to make those wonderful breadsticks. That's right. Bale cargo, that's packaged cargo. Uh, <laughs> Linguini. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chicken, uh, fettuccine Alfredo. Yeah. Uh, 134,500 square feet, approximately 18 and a half Olive Gardens. When you're there, you're just slightly less families. Yeah. The ship typically carried a crew of 9 to 10 people and used one diesel engine. Its top speed was approximately 11 knots. It was originally built for a Japanese shipping company, Daifuku Kayum KK, and was sold repeatedly to multiple shipping companies around Japan until being sold and renamed in South Korea. Now known as Sukjung No. 505, she was sold again before being registered in Belize and then Panama. Oh my goodness. The ship got around. Backpacking around uh, the world <laughs> yeah. after college. Yes. Did you know that it, apparently the backpacking, it's not like... Trail backpacking, it's living out of a backpack, living in hostels and stuff. Yeah, of course I knew I that. always thought That's... people were backpacking along trails through Europe. Oh, no. Well, do you think about, you know, the UK and their right to roam? There's a lot, it's a walking-friendly uh, country. Sure, but people or do people. it all over, not just in the UK. No, I, I understand that, but I, I really thought that, they, you know, bedroll on the top, iodized, wa ionized water. No. Iodine. Iodine what? Iodine tablets. Iodine tablets put yeah. in the water. It's hanging off the side. No. They're sleeping in not still youth is. hostels, but they've got big backpacks. Yeah. 
So they're just it's they just have a backpack. Yeah, that they're living like in. a like Jansport. That's all everything they have is in that. It's not a Jansport, probably. That wouldn't be big enough. But so okay, so it's a pretty robust backpack then. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> it was sold again to Sea Start International Shipping Group Inc. in 2007 and renamed New Legend Glory. Okay. The following year, it was acquired by the Briarwood Corp and renamed again to Rosas. Rosas. A lot of name change. A lot of uh. Moving around. She's finding herself. Exactly. Following the purchase, they lengthened the hull by nearly 100 feet and converted it to a general cargo vessel. It was then registered in Georgia, and then finally, Moldova, again, like all cargo ships. (laughs) I think Estonia (laughs) is also a big one, but... Oh, yeah? Yeah. On July 28th, 2013, only a few months before the trip to Mozambique, the ship was detained in Seville, Spain. Now, I, I made a joke about the harbor of Seville, which was uh, fell on deaf a ears. Musical or something? It's an said? opera, the Barber of Seville, and, and no. I thought it was really clever wordplay. And I said, I don't follow opera. But neither do I. You seem to. I. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do not. I do not. The opera-loving authorities in Spain had conducted an inspection and had concerns about if the ship was <laughs> still seaworthy. <laughs> it just. I just realized what you said. <laughs> Uh, We don't know whether these concerns were regarding the overall quality of the ship and its ongoing maintenance or the new additions to the ship to convert it to a general cargo vessel, or both. It's possible that these additions were not up to code. Some of the cited items included corroded decks, lack of auxiliary power, and problems with radio communication. Do you really need any of that? (laughs) Yeah, you need all of it. It's all super important. Okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The crew assured the Spanish authorities that the ship would be repaired as soon as she reached her destination. Okay. Uh, As you may have guessed, there are no records of additional repairs, which brings us to her final voyage. Yeah, I've heard this song before. Yeah. On this particular uh, voyage to Mozambique, the ship's cargo was 2,750 tons Mm -hmm. of ammonium nitrate. Mm. Now, Charlotte, does ammonium nitrate sound frightening to you? I'm quaking in my boots yeah, right perhaps now. I'm, a- I'm actually shaking. Perhaps you're uh, simple, like mm-hmm. me, and anything <laughs> with a sort of scientific, chemically-sounding name uh, terrifies you. Yeah, something monosyllabic. Dangerous. Ooh, even that word scares me. Yeah. Or uh, multisyllabic. Well, yeah, multisyllabic. Several syllabic. Yeah. Polysyllabic. In this case, uh, you'd be right. Mm. Yeah, because ammonium nitrate is a chemical compound mm. frequently presenting as a white crystalline salt. Uh, that's not the frightening part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's water-soluble. <laughs> no, that's not frightening either. Okay, got it. And will absorb airborne liquids at room temperature. Still not... Ah! No, not frightening, yeah. <laughs> that's all fine. Cool. Its main use is as a component in explosive materials for mining and construction. Ooh, okay. That's the frightening part. Now you can do the uh, thing. Nah, I mean, it's kind of... You I'm, I'm, num- yeah. I'm numb to okay. the pain. okay. It's the main component in ANFO. Ah! Yeah, that's ammonium nitrate fuel oil. Okay. A widely used commercial explosive. It accounts for 80% of commercial explosives used in North America and is often found in improvised explosive devices. That's homemade bombs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's very common uh, both commercially and as a uh, tool to make bombs. Illegally. Far more common than you might expect, ammonium nitrate can be found in a number of consumer products for home improvement, gardening, and cleaning. It's being phased out currently due to a high incidence of accidental ammonium nitrate explosions. Yeah, that'll get you. Yeah. The compound is currently one of the most common causes of accidental explosions. 
So when a giant amount of it shows up in port, there might be cause for concern. Hmm. Probably don't want it just sitting around there. It's essentially a bomb. Yeah. Yeah, okay. The MV Rosas, though registered to Moldova, like all ships, Mm -hmm. was actually owned by a company in Panama where it was purchased by a Russian businessman, Igor Grechushkin. 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 So registered to Moldova Mm -hmm. to a company in Panama Mm -hmm. owned by a Russian businessman. Multicultural shipping. Yeah. When questioned as to why his ship was full of explosive material and sitting idle in a port in Lebanon... Igor basically shrugged. Yeah, I am not knowing. (laughs) Who cares, boss? (laughs) He owns multiple ships, multiple shipping companies, so according to him, he just lost track of her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. According to manifests and documents filed, the cargo had been ordered by an African explosives manufacturing company for mining in Mozambique. Even all of this, though, still might not be true. Okay. A German investigative news magazine found different documentation linking the ship to a different businessman, Karolambos Manoli, who allegedly has ties to Hezbollah in Lebanon. Oh. Uh, okay. I don't know. They they seem to be the only ones reporting this, and Grachuskin is the one who has been largely legally held responsible for the MV Rosas. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's kind of speculative. Who knows? On November 21st, 2013, the MV Rosas arrived in Beirut. There are differing sources on why the ship made port. Some claim that it was a planned stop on their way to Mozambique, but others cite reports of mechanical issues and engine problems. Still others claim the owner of the vessel couldn't afford tolls for the Suez Canal and planned on taking on more shipments in Beirut to defray the costs. So regardless of why they did arrive in Beirut, and in fact did take on an additional shipment of heavy machinery. They stacked it on top of the doors to the cargo area containing the explosives, which caused the doors to buckle. (laughs) Guys, you can't be doing that. Yeah. You can't be doing that. Yeah. Lack of maintenance, illegal additions, or the massive amount of rust reported on the ship. Apparently that was a big problem. Untreated. Yes. Could have all contributed. After an inspection in port from the Beirut Customs and Port Authority, the MV Rosas was forbidden to set sail due to the damage to the ship. Of the 10 crew members, eight from Ukraine and two from Russia, more than half were repatriated and assigned to another ship, while the remainder were left to care for the ship in port. The owner, Grachushkin, allegedly went bankrupt, though in recent years, he's pretty much only been seen buying luxury cars and motorcycles, Bankruptcy, that's a that's a weird one. Doesn't necessarily mean you lost all your money. Match up. Yeah, yeah. The company who ordered the explosives gave up on receiving their shipment, leaving the MV Rosas abandoned in port. The crew ran out of provisions, but were not allowed to disembark due to passport and immigration issues. But they were eventually transferred home. They caught in the middle, just like the terminal. Exactly. On February 4th, 2014, the ship was seized by the government due to $100,000 in unpaid bills. (laughs) She'd been accruing fees for taking up a port berth, but refusing cargo. Just like shaking her head as the spoon was offered, like, come on, and this comes through the tunnel, and it's like, no, 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 Uh -uh. no, no. By order of a local judge, all cargo was brought ashore and placed in a warehouse for the next six years. Meanwhile... The Rosas, abandoned without a crew to care for it, sank in 2018. <laughs> Honestly, though, like if you're a port and you have an uh, like an unwanted vessel that is just like taking up space and accruing costs that may may not be paid, it sinking is, I think, one of the better case scenarios. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, or not. I, I don't know. I just know that there, there are ships just rotting in harbors and ports around the world. Just yeah. a suck on all efforts. And, you know, every three or four years, it's like, let's make it into a casino. And, and that doesn't work. <laughs> nobody wants somehow it. That yeah, work. The, somehow it does not come together. People want to stay in a hotel on land. Uh, or if they're going to be mean, in the water, they're moving. Popular, yeah, but, but that, yeah, that's that, exactly. There's a destination. You're going somewhere. Not just a casino. And do you get off the boat at the destination? No. no you play no, the absolutely slots. Absolutely not. Yeah. Naturally. Pennies need to be spent. What are the odds in a cruise slot machine? Got to be bad, right? It's got to be abysmal. Yeah. Because you're, you're out there against, you know, against your will. No, not against, against your will. will. <laughs> what cruise is this? The implication. Okay. <laughs> After the sinking, the Lebanese customs office had requested a resolution to the highly explosive cargo sitting in one of their warehouses. They requested that it either be exported as originally planned, given to the Lebanese armed forces, or sold to a Lebanese explosives company. They did not just send one request. They sent letters twice in 2014, once in 2015, twice in 2016, and again in 2017, with the final letters pleading for a resolution and citing the inherent danger of the cargo. This kind of uh, hounding uh, bureaucracy may feel familiar to any of our American listeners who have ever had to deal with an insurance issue. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like every week you're like, okay, now I got to call again. I got to call again. On August 4th, 2020, at 5.45 p.m., a fire broke out in Warehouse 12 where the ammonium nitrate was being stored. Now, this sounds bad, right? I mean, it's a fire in a warehouse filled with explosive materials. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound great, and I can't see it getting that much worse. It's worse. Uh, It's worse. Yeah. (laughs) Warehouse 12 included storage from a number of different vessels, including... Illegal fireworks. Whoa! It's just like Pennsylvania. You're thinking to yourself right now, surely they were stored pretty far away from the ammonium nitrate, right? Yeah, in a safe... They were stored next to the ammonium nitrate. Mm. Any further questions? Okay. Uh, Well, surely the fire didn't spread to the fireworks, correct? Uh, The blaze ignited the fireworks. (laughs) Oh, no. Which, in turn, sparked the ammonium nitrate. What is this? Like a wily Coyote scheme? I know. It sounds like, I, it's, it's like a cartoon. I know. It's, it's, it, it's outlandish. When the initial explosion occurred at 6.07 p.m., fire crews were already on the scene. Uh, they immediately clocked that something was wrong. The fire was much larger than they had anticipated, and it was also full of fireworks. The sights and sounds of this must have been so disturbing. Yeah. But also mixed with, like, the, you know, typically happy, like, ooh, fireworks. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Approximately 30 seconds later, the second explosion occurred, detonating the full payload of ammonium nitrate. The first responding fire crew was killed instantly. The explosion caused a shockwave felt as far away as northern Israel and Cyprus. An orange cloud filled the air, followed by a giant white condensation cloud. The blast caused a 3.3 magnitude earthquake. That is astounding. This is one of, obviously, the more recent things we've covered. And and you may remember seeing the videos of this going around. It it is a massive grain silo. And uh, to, to see it go up as it did is like... It's really upsetting. It's 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 so powerful. It's so loud. You can see in the videos taken the way the shockwave like hits the building there yeah, and just yeah. shakes everything. It is because the fire was going for a while, so people were videoing. There's like a lot of videos of a the actual ton explosion of documentation. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, there was also an explosion, I think, in Texas and Philadelphia. I think that were like a 
around a similar time. Maybe not in Texas, but oh, there really? was one in Philadelphia where it's just like a huge cloud and an explosion that went off. And everyone's like, oh, well, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay. What do you do when you've got a billion things to do, but you also want to get some sunshine? Just get an e-bike. Guys, electric e-bikes are perfect for quick trips and fresh air. It is why I was an early adopter of the e-bike and a huge fan of electric e-bikes. Yeah, maybe you're thinking, sure, I need groceries though. Where do I put all my stuff? Well, that is where electric e-bikes new Expedition Cargo e-bikes come in. It'll carry groceries. It'll carry gear. It'll carry kids or even an adult human person. That's right. You and your buds can go out for a ride in the sunshine. As I said, Electric E-Bikes just introduced their Expedition Cargo E-Bike. It's designed to make it easier to take cargo with you. They've got a carrying capacity of 450 pounds, so you can take a ton of gear with you, and they can reach up to 150 miles on a single charge thanks to its double battery setup. You can even take passengers. It's perfect for day trips or quick weekend camping adventures. Plus, you can customize them to fit your needs, and you can finance for as low as $133 a month. I am a huge fan of e-bikes, but in the past, it has been a challenge to transport stuff. The cargo bike, it takes care of that, and it can carry so much that you don't have to worry about, oh, is this going to work? Of course it's going to work, okay? So check out the all-new Expedition Cargo e-bike from Electric. Visit electricebikes.com to learn more about the Expedition Cargo e-bike and all of the other sweet models Electric has to offer. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Hey everybody, it's Patrick. Just wanted to let you know Rooster Teeth's 20th anniversary is coming up. Alright? They're making new episodes of 20 Rooster Teeth classics. Those are going to release every Friday starting March 10th for 20 straight weeks. But we're not going to tell you what those are. So, you know, you got to tune in. March 10th is the first, that's Rooster Teeth first, exclusive date. March 17th is the start date for our free watchers. It's the support of our first members that allows us to make that content. So check it out and wish Rooster Teeth a happy 20th anniversary. 218 people, including the fire crew, dock workers, and civilians within the blast radius were instantly killed in the explosion. An additional 7,000 were injured, including a crew of UN naval peacekeepers. <clears throat> Over half of Beirut's buildings and structures were damaged by the blast. The expected cost of repairs is somewhere between 15 and 20 billion dollars. Mm, good lord. Yeah. The explosion destroyed the framing of buildings facing the blast. Homes as far as 5 to 10 miles away were damaged, and 300,000 people were left homeless by the explosion. It, it really does uh, evoke, uh, you know, similar feelings to as to hearing about the Halifax explosion. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 such a, you know, port port city. You know, an an important uh, scene of trade. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of development around it. It mm -hmm. becomes a hub. It becomes. I mean, it becomes a city. It's a reason cities are yeah. built on waterways, yeah. and so, you know, the windows and the far off uh, injuries. Well, you want a view of the water. I mean, we live in California. We live in LA, Southern yeah. California. We I don't like have a view of the water. water. I live very far from the water. I do live very far from the water. But, you know, in a day you could get there. Sure, yeah. The explosion destroyed the grain silos, which exacerbated food shortages already caused by COVID-19 and worldwide supply chain shortages. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. This left the country with less than a month of grain reserves. Mm. I forgot that this happened during, like, during COVID, COVID stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, like, 
pretty deep in lockdown, August yeah, of 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In addition, the three closest hospitals were completely destroyed. Already overwhelmed with COVID patients, injured civilians had to wait to seek care, and that was if they could even find an available hospital. Mm. Most hospital staff were forced to treat patients in the street. Multiple nurses died in the blast, and many patients died because their ventilators shut off when the electricity went out. Just horrifying. Yeah. Just compounding tragedy after tragedy. St. George Hospital's child cancer wing partially faced the blast. Every window was shattered, showering the children in glass and injuring many with shrapnel. Christ. The explosion left a crater 407 feet in diameter and 141 feet in depth. Oh my God. Yeah. I think, I mean, I knew about the like kind of scale of it across the ground, but I didn't realize how deep it went. Yeah. Just to put that into perspective, that's almost one and a half football fields wide and half a football field deep. I believe that's American football. The less beautiful game. Yeah, but still beautiful. It's a beautiful game, you know, yeah. in, in, the, in its complexity. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just imagine your local stadium dropping into the earth, leaving a giant hole. That's what the aftermath of this explosion looked like. I think it would be more lifted out of the earth. And then dropped back down. And then taken out again. Yeah, and just removed. Okay. Yeah. A <laughs> little, sure. de- little yeah, deeper, I mean, maybe. But... We get a big uh, scoop, yeah. you know. A cruise ship, the Orient Queen... Birthed near Warehouse 12, was blown on its side by the blast. Look up the photos of that. It's pretty crazy. Mm. The ship capsized and sank overnight following the explosion. Two crew members were killed, seven more injured. Luckily, no passengers were aboard. An oil tanker, specifically edible oils, not fossil fuels. Oh, Talking grapeseed, olive. Mm. Avocado, coconut. Others. (laughs) (laughs) Moroccan, argan. Uh, Oh, you're not supposed to eat those. Those are for your hair. Yeah, sure. Uh, that ship, the Amadeo II, was closest to the explosion. The entire crew died in the blast. She was torn apart completely, her mangled remains blown into the next quay over. Jesus. Two large livestock carriers were berthed nearby. Both were heavily damaged in the blast, causing one to become unstable and tip over onto the adjacent ship, severely damaging both. However, they did not capsize. Nearly all port offices were destroyed. Thankfully, this occurred after hours, limiting the amount of casualties in those buildings. Unfortunately, one employee did die and two were injured. Six miles away, the Beirut Rafia Hariri International Airport sustained damage to most of its major buildings. As the investigation continued, the remains of the grain silo were left standing. The families of the victims asked they be left as a memorial. More on this later. Yeah, keep, keep this come one back in your back this. pocket. Yeah. The same month as the blast, an investigative committee was formed. They found port officials and security officials potentially liable for not managing the explosive material during the previous requests from 2014 to 2017. I mean, putting the fireworks next to it alone right, seems like a, yeah. a, a pretty heinous offense. Yeah. The head of customs authority and the general manager of the port were arrested. The committee also requested the captain and the owner of the Rosas be detained as its cargo was the source of these explosions. In December of 2020, as a result of the investigation, the outgoing prime minister and three former ministers, the finance minister and two ministers of public works, were charged with negligence for ignoring recommendations to remove the cargo. Mm. The shipping company responsible for the Rosas has been difficult to hold accountable for the events of the blast, as the ship and company have multiple registrations and conflicting paperwork accounts, which makes them difficult to trace. 
Of course they do. Naturally. Why wouldn't you? Some accounts showed that Carolombos Manoli may have been the actual owner, with Grachuskin merely leasing the vessel under the name Tito Shipping Company Limited. It's getting very hairy very quickly. Yeah. I think that's just that's why they do it. International I mean, shipping. Yeah, it's just, it's so, just it's so winding. Mm-hmm. And you can register in however many countries fly. Yeah, it seems like, like operate under any country with, I don't know, you kind of just pick and choose your laws that you have to follow, to I guess. Park there once, I guess. Something like that. As the investigation continued, Manoli's company was found to have owed almost a million pounds, and the Rosas may have been offered up as collateral. This would have prevented some of the movement of cargo from the port of Beirut. Huh. Okay. I know. It's it's so confusing. Like, but it's explosive material. Who cares? Get rid of it. Just get do. You got to do well, something. Well, this is clearly like what's the worst that could happen mindset. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is even you know medium case scenario. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. In a 2020 interview with a former captain of the Rosas, it was revealed there was a known defect in the hull of the ship. This required the crew to periodically pump the water out of the ship, otherwise it would sink. <clears throat> yeah, and guess what? It did sink. Oh, okay. The former captain claimed it had sunk two to three years prior to making landfall in Beirut. Uh, the sinking was also prior to the investigation in Seville, Spain. So I imagine it sunk in pretty shallow water and they just pumped it out and brought her back up. I guess up. they just got her back up. Yeah. It's thought that some of the improvements made to increase the Rosas's size to a general cargo ship were actually maybe done to just hide known defects with the ship. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Which makes sense. When the Rosas sank in 2018, it may have been due to the known hole in the hull. Hole in the hull. Hole in the hull. There were no other cited causes for the sinking. In addition to all of this, the investigation found it interesting that the company who ordered the explosives had not done much to recoup their investment. But it turns out the company was actually previously investigated for trafficking and supplying explosives. No. Yeah. No. Kind of makes sense why they wouldn't uh, try to... Yeah, very much so. Money back. Probably don't want too many eyes uh, on them. They also function as an explosives mining company, so it's entirely possible that their need for the ammonium nitrate was legit, and they simply did not want to get involved. Okay. Okay, either way. Either way. Not good. Not good. In 2021, many of those detained were released, but an additional investigation began. It was found that only 20% of the total explosive payload was present in the warehouse during the explosion with no record of where the other 80% went. Okay, and now maybe the picture is becoming a little bit clearer why maybe? the company did not worry so much about recouping their losses because maybe they just managed to get most of it out of there anyway. Yeah. Legitimate or or non-legitimate. Yeah. They seem, somebody got that cargo. It's a lot. That's a lot to be missing. That's an, that is a lot of explosive cargo. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering what happened. Yeah. Well, and imagine if the rest of it was That's what I'm saying. Woof. Yikes. As of 2022, many of the legal proceedings in the initial investigation have stalled. Parliamentary immunity blocked indictments for some, and loyalties within Parliament have prevented more arrests. Those clowns down in Parliament. (laughs) In August of 2021, a memorial event was held commemorating the one-year anniversary of the explosion as a tribute to the victims. Mm. Following the memorial, in December 2021... A number of UN offices for risk management and humanitarian affairs met with the International Labor Organization and the International Maritime Organization 
to hold a seminar retrospective on the explosion. Multiple countries sent representatives to the seminar. Lebanon, Estonia, France, South Africa, and many others showed solidarity for increased risk management on the chemicals used in ports and a reduction in the use of ammonium nitrate overall. Oh yeah, I mean, you want the families and the victims taken care of, but also you can hope that something is learned from this. I don't know enough about this seminar uh, to ascertain whether it's like posturing, but it seems like it's in the interest of not letting this happen again. Yeah, it'd probably be for the best if this didn't happen again. But remember that grain silo from earlier? The one that they wanted to kept as a memorial? I do, yeah. Yeah, well, in July of 2022, that memorial caused an additional fire. Oh my goodness. This was a result of the grain inside fermenting in extreme summer heat. Wow. The 2020 explosions had damaged the silo's ability to regulate temperature. So, Interesting. Yeah. That, I mean, that's... It, it doesn't seem like anyone was injured in this. Uh, yeah. But the fire eventually damaged the structural integrity of the building, which subsequently collapsed. I mean, I can appreciate using it as a memorial, um, but the fact that the grain was still in there, uh, I didn't expect. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, were yeah, they I'm using not sure. it again? It seems like uh, they shouldn't have been. Uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Maybe they were using it again. Yeah. Well, now they're not. Well, there you have it, the Beirut port explosion. A uh, well-documented recent tragedy. Um, really terrible, you know, that this happened at all. And once again, totally preventable. Uh, you had people who knew there was an issue and unfortunately red tape bureaucracy and probably some amount of uh, just, I don't even know if malice, just negligence. Yeah. You know, it's a fine line. Yeah, I mean, it's like negligence to the point of malice. Almost. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like well, it's criminal negligence, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's, there's, that, there's a term for it already. That exists yeah. in our justice system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, all right, let me get a foghorn. E Today's honorable mention was sent to us on Twitter mm -hmm. by Joe Joe Lar Bear One, something like that. Very cool. I never know how to say these names. Joe Lar Bear. Joe Lar Bear. Oh yeah, it's like polar bear. Joe Lar Bear. Joe Lar. Oh, Joe Bear. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, big ups. Huge ups. And thank, thank you. you. And send, keep sending us. Uh, well, not specifically this person, but if if you're a listener and you have an honorable mention, send it our way. And Joel or Bear, watch out for loose patches of ice. We don't want you floating out into the Arctic Ocean. Maybe we do. It's Would it be Antarctic? Say. No, because Antarctic means no bears. That's what that means. It does, actually, in the etymology, because okay. Arctic is, well, it's, it, well, I don't know if it's for the population of bears so much as if it's like an astronomy thing. I think it's Ursus Minor. Uh, appears in the sky of one of them. Okay. Uh, I'm not really sure, but Antarctic is is, sure. a, is a lack of bears okay. is where the name comes from. Okay. But I also don't know if that applies to the Jolar bear population. Right. Well, anyway, do you want to go back in time? Will you go back oh, in time with me? Take me back, yeah. Okay. I want to go to the Twin Peaks Mall. And you all get to come. No. Twin Pines. It's a movie. <laughs> Twin yeah. Pines Mall, sorry. <laughs> Uh, and you're all invited. Journey with us, if you will, to 1894, where oh. a large cargo vessel, the Iron Ton, cool name for it. Or is it Iranton? Iranton. Iranton. The Iron Ton collides with a grain hauler, dragging okay. both the, to the unbriny, because it's freshwater, depths yeah. of Lake Huron. That's, this is what I was saying, I think, last week, is normally we get freshwater stories from you. Yeah. Or, or maybe the but week the, before. I mean, this is talking from about me. 
Well, nah, I'm just saying, you know, it's a Great Lakes story, so it's, yeah. it gets from you. Well, and speaking of the Great Lakes, Lake Huron, obviously one of the lesser Great Lakes, but uh, when measuring the power of, of gods, who are we to assign rank? <laughs> It was not from me, but also let me just put so much respect on the name of Lake Huron. <laughs> Big ups. <coughs> okay. This is also this also uh involves like multiple Great Lakes. This was a collaboration. In a oh, way. this is a huge yeah, collab. Yeah. Was a Huron X what Superior? Huron X Erie Michigan. X Superior. Really? Yeah, yeah. Erie is. It never made like... it to Superior, but Superior was the destination. So what? What's which one's left out? Erie was the start, Eerie starting the point. Start. Yeah, Huron is, Huron where, it is where it sunk. It but it, the final destination superior. was Lake Superior. So Lake Michigan is left out. Yeah, there was no Lake Michigan, as and far as I can tell. What's the other one? Uh oh, what is it? Um, Michael. Yeah, Lake Michael. That's it. <laughs> Lake Michael. What the hell is the other Great Lake? Not so great. Apparently not. Yeah. Hang on. Now you got to. Now I got to find yeah, it. I got to look it up. To you. It's. No, not Great Lakes loan borrowing. <laughs> Although, actually, yeah, hang can on, you send actually, that to yeah, me? me I, I can really, I'm not super liquid right now. We're missing a few here, aren't we? A few? I thought it was five. No, we're missing, yeah, we're only missing Lake Ontario. Lake Ontario. Yeah. Well, you know, worst case Ontario, we just get four out of five. There we go. Now you want to name all the 10,000 lakes of Minnesota? There's far more than that. We don't have the time. But it's the land of. Yeah, but that's a misnomer. <laughs> It's closer to 12,000. Patrick's, he's steamed. He's so <laughs> upset right now. So his entire love sack is vibrating. <laughs> the Iron Ton collided with the Ohio, a freighter carrying flour. Oh, shit. Sometime, oh, yeah. <laughs> sometime on September 26th, 1894. The Ohio's crew of 16 was quickly rescued by another ship, the Moonlight, which had actually been towed out of Lake Erie alongside the Iron Ton. Uh, they were being towed out by a steamship. The steamship, I think, lost power somehow. Uh, uh, something went wrong with it. The two ships kind of went their separate ways, the Moonlight and the Iron Ton, uh, and continued into Lake Huron. Interesting. Big storm. Okay. Big Great Lakes storm. Yeah, naturally. Right? I mean, we've, we've heard about the swells on the Great Lakes. Yeah, causing the Iron Ton to crash into the Ohio. So the Ohio crew, they're safe. The ship does sink, but they're safe. Aboard the Iron Ton, things were much more grim. The crew of six and one captain, <laughs> obviously, it's often no, not of course, more than one captain. I, I, I'm hearing this. Yeah. They all managed to get into a lifeboat. Great. Well, they weren't able to disconnect the lifeboat from the ship, and it was dragged to the bottom when she sank. Not great. Yes. So three crew members survived the initial sinking and were rescued by the steamer Charles Hebbard. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't over yet. The waters were still raging when a lifeboat was lowered to pick up the surviving crew members, and the lifeboat was overturned as their rescue was being carried out, claiming the life of another Iron Ton crew member. Mm. So, total, only two survived. Okay, so, uh, Patrick, uh -huh. honorable mentions, typically uh, a bastion of timeliness on yeah. this program. Why, yeah, why yeah. are we talking about this? Why did we travel back in time? Because, well, okay, so... This was news today, uh -huh. but the discovery w did happen in 2019. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like so many. But people have been looking for it for like 130 years. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So they finally did find it in 2019. Also, th th the Great Lakes just completely filled with ships. Oh, my God. At the bottom. Yeah. 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 Uh, so they did find it, though, uh, but it was kept under wraps until, I think, the today, as of recording, 
because the researchers wanted to thoroughly photograph the area, document everything before, you know, a bunch of divers came out, potentially damage the wreckage, take souvenirs, whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that happens. Yeah. You can actually still see the lifeboat attached to the ship. Whoa. Yeah, the lifeboat that was dragged down. That dragged down the, yeah. the crew and the captain. Yeah. He was, of course, above the crew. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, think that same night, another ship also sank and killed like. Oh my God! Six yeah, I mean those Great Lake storms, like we've talked about them before. Yeah. We talked about the Edmund Fitzgerald in season one. Yeah, um, I don't know where this ship's song is, but it does seem like standard practice to uh, discover a ship and then sit on it for a bit because there's not really too much like you know divers can do to keep others from going to the site of a wreck. Yeah, and I know I think they've discussed putting like a buoy there or something just to. Market, market. It, yeah. Um, but yeah, right now I think they're just documenting it. There's a ton of photos though and video, so that go, is go check that out. Extremely cool. The Iron Ton, the wreck of the Iron, iron ton. ton, and Ohio. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will be back next week. Yes, we will. I uh, I would encourage you to follow our socials for when they awaken. For when you decide to do something with Me? Them. Why don't you do anything with them? Because I don't understand social media. I am quickly, We've been over I'm this. quickly aging out of my social media understanding. My literacy decreases but your baseline every is day. far higher than I mine. am about to get fished and give away my login oh, information for everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, I'm listen, I'm my days are numbered. I'm rapidly approaching 30. And what's going to happen That's after true. that? That's I'm not going to know how to use a dang computer anymore. Right. What about a phone? I would appreciate some help. Well, phones are almost kind of like computers. We can talk nowadays. We can talk later. Okay. Anyway, we still have multiple things that we filmed and just never posted. That's right. right. That's okay. right. Yeah. Good. We were different people then, good, good, good. so we can still post it. That's right. Maybe maybe that's what we should do with our Friday meetings. Oh, okay. You know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, hey, who wrote this? <laughs> it was written by Paige Wesley. And the editor? It was edited by Kelly Reynolds. And the show art? The show art was by Stevie Jude. And there you have it. And who who am I? I don't know. Okay, well, help me out here. I'm Charlotte Avery. I'm Patrick. Brown. Brown. Of the Great Lakes fame. That's right. Lake uh, Brown. Lake Brown, yeah. There's got to be a bunch of those, I'm right? I'm sure there are. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty. If right. you know a Lake Brown, get at us. <laughs> uh, uh, and we love seeing all the tweets. There was This was one of the rare weeks where we had a wealth of honorable mention options to choose from. But you know we got to go... With our freshwater the kings, lakes. the Great Lakes, yeah. the gods, yep. Great Lakes. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Your, uh, respect to the Great Lakes. Respect to the Great Lakes, and may your bones bleach in these uh, deep, deep, cold, unbrined waters. Thank you. Goodbye, and farewell. Farewell.